0: Take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to Proverbs chapter 5, Proverbs chapter 5. We will be this morning looking at Proverbs 5, 6, and 7. This will be the first of two parts. And the verses that we don't get to this week, we will most likely get to next week. So I'll be jumping around quite a bit this morning, just trying to get a feel uh, for the overall significance of these two chapters. But before we read, I want to paint a picture in your mind, two separate pictures, and I want you to, if you can, as much as you possibly can, imagine this scene as I paint the picture for you. I want you to, to picture this, to put yourself in this moment. It is Christmas Eve, and the air is cool and crisp, and the ground is covered in snow. Inside the house, there's kind of a feeling of excitement and joy and anticipation. The children have gone to get on their pajamas and mom is busy in the kitchen and the entire home smells with the smell of fresh baked cookies. It's such a peaceful evening and while the children are doing what they're supposed to be doing and and mom is doing what she's doing, dad is doing what he loves to do and is so proud of doing He believes he builds the best wood-burning fire that anyone can build. And so dad is there in the living room and he's building this perfect fire. You see, it's the tradition of this family on Christmas Eve to turn the heat down just a little bit, to get a little cooler in the house. Everyone get in their pajamas and everyone bundle up and they sit in front of the fire and they read the, the Christmas story. It's really a magical tradition. It's a wonderful night. And as the family gathers by the fire, it's something they'll remember for the rest of their lives. Would you imagine another scene? It's Christmas Eve. The air is cool and, and crisp. Ground is covered in, in snow. Inside the house. The children have gone to put on their pajamas. There's a kind of an air of excitement. Anticipation and joy in the home. Mom is busy in the kitchen. and The entire house smells. With the smell of fresh baked cookies. And. Dad is doing what he loves to do. He's building a wood-burning fire, and he loves doing this. He thinks he builds a better one than anybody. And when the kids finally come down in their pajamas, they lay out the blankets, and everyone sits around, and they read the Christmas story. It's a a magical evening. But after the kids go up and, and begin to go to bed, and mom and dad are kind of busy making all the preparations for Christmas, what they don't realize is an ember has come out of the fireplace and landed on the carpet. And all of a sudden, a little bit of smoke turns in, into a lot of smoke and the smoke alarms go off. The children run downstairs. Uh, dad runs into the room and very quickly, the entire house is filled with smoke. The, the flames have now caught the couch on fire and everything seems to be going up and the children are screaming and mom and dad are panicked and they try to grab things and dad just tells them don't get anything and as quickly as he can, he gets everyone out of the house and they all stand on the front lawn watching as the entire house goes up in flames on christmas eve it's a memory they'll remember forever everything about those two two stories is almost exactly the same it's the same family it's the same night it's the same traditions it's the same sights it's the same smells listen it's even the same fire the only difference in the two stories is the location of the fire The fire contained is creating something beautiful. The fire uncontained is creating something extremely devastating. And the truth is, the fire that created the absolute delight when contained is the exact same fire that created absolute destruction when uncontained. That's exactly the scene that the father wants to paint for his son in Proverbs 6, verse 27 He says to his son, can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? The answer is no. You you can't expect to, to have uncontained fire and not be burned. Holding fire in your hand will, in fact, burn you. In Proverbs 5 through 7, give us these two pictures. One picture is the picture of fire contained. It is a picture of joy and delight and blessing. There's also a picture of fire uncontained. And that fire consumes everything in sight and destroys the life of many. The fire is God's gift of sex. And the fireplace, the only place in which the fire is to be contained, is marriage. The father wants... His son to understand that in the context of marriage, that fire should burn. And it is a joy and it is delight. But when that fire is uncontained outside of marriage, it can be and will be, according to Proverbs 5 through 7, devastating. This is the focus of almost three entire chapters of the book of Proverbs. It's amazing the amount of tension that is given to this. And so we want to spend two weeks on this, this morning and next week in order to give you a little feel for what is being communicated to us, I want to read you a little portion from chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. Look with me at chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. I want to begin there. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, and her steps follow the path of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. And now, O son, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house. Lest you give your honor to others, and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. And you say how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. Listen to this. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Turn to chapter 6, starting in verse 20. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always and tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. And when you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp and teaching a light. And the reproof of discipline are the way of life. To preserve you from the evil woman. From the smooth tongue of the adulteress, do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he's hungry. But if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor and his disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse though you multiply gifts. Let me read chapter 7, verse 6 through 27. Starting in verse 6. For at the window of my house, I've looked out through my lattice, and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sins, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him. Dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart, she is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him, and with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you and to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. Verse 21. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, hear this, he does not know that it will cost him his life now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way of Sheol going down to the chambers of death. It's a pretty sobering text. Now, as we study a passage of scripture like this, we need to understand how to interpret it and how to view it. When we look at a text like this, particularly in the book of Proverbs, we need to see it two distinct ways. This is really important. I need you to hear this. Say, I'm going to hear this. Okay. You need to hear it literally and metaphorically. Both of those are important. What I mean is, first of all, you need to hear this literally. This is a father sitting down with his son and saying, son, I want to help you be aware of certain kind of women. I want you to avoid them. They will try to entice you and I want you to be aware of this. And in the same way, there's some literal help here for us for the ladies to understand this is the kind of woman I don't want to be. I don't want to be this way. I don't want to attract attention in this way. I don't want to try to entice in this way. And so we need to look at this text and realize that there is very good literal practical instruction here. I was thinking this week that just like a good church guy does when I was a kid, I went to every summer camp there was. And I remember two sessions from all of every summer camp I ever went to. One was the summer of 1992 in Deco Falls, Georgia, when I gave my life to Christ. I remember that one. I don't remember what was preached, but I remember who was preaching. So I remember that night. The second was the same year at camp. I remember that a man by the name of Dave Adams at Liberty University preached a message from Proverbs 7. I promise you before the Lord, this is the only sermon I ever remember from every time I went to camp. I remember the sermon on Proverbs 7. I had never heard anything like it in my life and it was the only session at a camp I'd ever heard where no one moved and no one talked. And he talked about 11 ways to identify the foreign woman, the dangerous woman. And he said, men, I want you to hear this because I want you to avoid this. And ladies, I want to plead with you to not try to attract men with any of these external beauties or enticements. But make it the beauty of the heart. Stay pure and walk with Jesus. Watch what you wear and watch how you talk and watch where you go. He was pleading with every young man and every one woman on how to walk with the Lord in purity from the literal understanding of Proverbs 7. Very, very helpful. But there's a way to see this as a metaphor as well. And I believe it's the primary way in some ways for us to see it this morning. The metaphor is that this woman, this foreign woman, is a picture of the way in which Satan entices us. She's a picture of the way in which sin tempts us. This is what we call, uh, talking about how to understand the Bible, as a biblical type. So woman wisdom is a type of, of Christ. It is, it is the woman wisdom that is inviting you to know the way, the truth, and the life to follow her and to come to her. And she is promising that life and blessing will be yours. She is appointing us to Christ because First Corinthians 1 said Jesus is the wisdom of God. But competing with that voice is the voice of woman of folly. And she is a picture of the tempter. She's a picture of Satan and the way in which he wants to tear us apart and at the same time is also loud and giving an invitation and pleading with us to walk in her way. And so these three chapters really are primarily competing voices that are trying to win your heart. Two competing voices that are calling out to you and trying to win your soul, listen, primarily through the area of sexual temptation. Primarily through the area of sexual temptation. And so I wanna spend two weeks on this. And today I wanna look at seeing temptation. And next week I wanna look at very practically fighting temptation. And what I mean this morning on seeing temptation is I want you, by the grace of God, to recognize the tempter, to recognize the voice, to recognize the way in which he tempts, to recognize his tactics. I don't want you to be naive about the way in which the enemy tempts us. I think about 1 Peter 5.8, which says that our adversary, the one who hates you, is like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But it starts by saying this. It says, be sober-minded and alert. What that means is this. When it comes to the enemy, you must be sober-minded and serious and thoughtful about the enemy because he is real and he's not a joke. And you must be alert. You must be aware that he is seeking to devour you. You must be aware that he is out there and he is working very hard in many different ways to try to win your soul. And I think of 2 Corinthians two eleven, which says, we do not want to be outwitted by Satan so we are not ignorant of his schemes. Listen, if you are ignorant of his schemes, you will be outwitted by Satan. He is not greater than Christ in you, but he is greater than you without the power of Christ, I assure you. And he will win over you every single time without the power of the Holy Spirit of God from the resurrected Christ. He will win over you. And I fear that we might not be aware of the way in which he tempts. And so that really is the point of the message today. Helping seeing the tempter and his temptation. Two points I want to make. Write these down. The first one is this. I want you to see the presence of danger. I want you to see the presence of danger. One of the things we know from chapter 1, verse 32 is the simplicity of a man will destroy him, simplicity of a woman will destroy her. It is the complacent who are doomed. And so if there is in our minds a simplicity about the things of the Lord and a simplicity about the things of the devil and complacency in spiritual warfare, listen, if you are complacent in spiritual warfare, meaning you're not even aware of the battle, you're not fighting the battle, this is not a regular part of your life, the complacency that we tend to have in regards to the attacks of the enemy will actually destroy us. He will win unless we are aware. And so it is in chapter 7 that this person is looking out of their window and watching as this simple-minded, naive person goes like an ox led to a slaughter and loses their life. And so I don't want you to be simple-minded. I want you to be aware of the presence of danger. Four years after he wrote Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan, still in prison, wrote another book, another metaphor for the Christian life called The Holy War. He describes in that book a city called Mansoul, M-A-N-S-O-U-L. Not super subtle, but we see where he's going. He's talking about our life as this city, and we are there inhabiting the city of Mansoul. It was founded by Shaddai, and it was built for the delight of Shaddai. Shaddai had created this city and gathered people in it, in the city of Mansoul, for his own joy and delight. There were strong walls around it, protecting everyone inside the city. And the the walls had five gates. The gates into the city were the eye gate, the ear gate, the mouth gate, the nose gate, and the feel gate. And the only way into the city was through those gates. And there was a great enemy, Diabolus, who was attacking people in Mansoul through the gates. It's the only way that he could get in. And it's a little reminder of what we saw last week in Proverbs chapter 4, that everything in your life flows out of your heart. It is an amazing, humbling thought. Everything in your life flows out of your heart. And so people around you are being fed, this is John chapter 7, by what is flowing out of your heart. And the only way that we protect our heart is through these senses, through these gates of our ears, our eyes, our mouth, our, our feelings. All of these things are the gates into our heart. And the reason the enemy gets to our heart through the gates is because it's a much more subtle way to get us. And so if he can just get us to see things or to hear things or to say things or to go places, we might think that those things are not significant. But what the enemy knows is that if he can get those little things into your life, if he can go through those little gates, then he will eventually win your heart and he will take you down. And what we see through Proverbs 5 through 7 is an enemy who is using all of these tactics to go through the gates of your life in order to get to your soul chapter 5 verse 3 tells us that the way in which he is doing this is through this picture of this forbidden woman some translations say a foreign woman you might see it there in verse 3 a forbidden woman or a foreign woman and let me tell you the reason that it uses this language i want you to listen closely The reason it talks about this woman as a foreign woman or a forbidden woman is two reasons. On the practical side, it's a woman that does not belong to you because she's not your wife. Ladies, he's not your spouse. He's not your husband. So the foreign part and the practical side is this is someone that doesn't belong to you. And if they don't belong to you, then there is no place for sexual activity because they don't belong to you. They're not yours. But in the metaphor, the foreign woman is is the enemy who wants to take even those who have chosen the way of life down. She is a tempter. And Matthew 4, 3 says that the tempter came to Jesus and tempted him. And so it is. We have this tempter. The enemy is a tempter. And he knows exactly the way in which he can tempt us. And he's going through all of the gates. And oftentimes he is winning in the area of sexual morality. I just want you to notice the two primary ways in which the enemy is trying to destroy you. I want you to notice the presence of danger here. The first one is this. The enemy pursues us. Get that down. The enemy pursues us. Turn back to Proverbs chapter 7. One of the things you notice is the aggressiveness of this promiscuous, dangerous, foreign woman who is a picture of the enemy, okay? So this is a picture, ladies. This is for you, too. This is a picture of the way in which the enemy wants to come after you. And notice the aggression of the enemy here. It says in chapter 7, And behold, the woman meets him, in verse 10, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She's loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. In the street, in the market, at every corner, at every corner, she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him, and with bold face, she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I've paid my vows. I've come to meet you. I've come to seek you eagerly, and I've found you. I've spread my couch with coverings. We'll talk about those more in a minute, but the reality is, is she is pictured as someone who is extremely aggressive. And there's a practical side of this. There's a warning here for men and a warning here for women. But the real meaning here is that of Genesis 4-7 that says sin is crouching at your door. Sin is waiting to take you down. The enemy is constantly coming after you. And I, I, I think that we often view the devil as more passive than he actually is. Like maybe if we mess up, the devil is there to take advantage of this. But the devil is an aggressor. The devil is active. The devil is pursuing you. The devil, I love that little phrase, is at every corner. Temptation is always there. And Satan is unrelenting in his desire to take you down. He is always working. And it says in chapter 7, look at verses 6 through 9. That here's this picture of someone looking out their window. And they're looking out through the lattice. And they've seen among the simple one who lacks sense and so here's someone who is simple-minded they're not aware of the pursuit of the enemy they're not taking seriously the attack of the enemy they're not aware of how this happens they're lacking sense and so what do they do well they just they pass along the way of the mysterious woman not knowing she's dangerous what else would he do well well he goes at night and he's an ed target why because he's not on his guard he's not aware that temptation is there And so he's not on his guard where he should be not only avoiding that path in every single way, but he should have been aware that all throughout their life that the enemy is after him. And so what happens is every sense is about to be attacked because the gates aren't guarded. He doesn't see it, nor does he run. One of the things that became so clear to me as I watched this little episode here of this man who's walking through the street is first of all, he walks by her house. And then when she begins to talk, he listens. And he notices that she's dressed like a prostitute. And even when she's dressed like that, he doesn't run. He stays. And he listens to what she has to say. And then she begins to entice. And then she begins to implore. And he keeps listening. And he keeps listening. And he keeps listening. And he finally gets to a point where he is driven away into immorality because he walked too close. He looked too much and he listened way too long and the enemy is constantly pursuing constantly coming after us and look at what it says in 721 it says with much seductive speech she persuades him with her smooth talk she compels him and all at once he follows her yes and not exactly It is all at once and there is this one moment in which he decides to follow her, but it began when he walked by her house and it began when he looked at her and it began when he stopped and had a conversation and it continued as he continued to listen to the conversation and listen as the lady painted this picture of all the joys and delights that were awaiting. That's exactly the way the enemy works. He starts with a thought, he starts with a moment, he starts with the wrong place at the wrong time and he is always after you. Do not take him lightly. He is pursuing you. Second thing is this. He not only pursues us, he lies to us. This is the primary weapon of the enemy. He lies and he seduces and he's very, very good at it. So chapter five, verse three says this. The lips of the forbidden woman drip honey. Her speech is smoother than oil. Honey was the sweetest substance known in the ancient world, and oil was the smoothest substance in the ancient world. So, the point here is that the talk of the tempter is sweet and smooth. But it repeats this multiple times. It tells us in chapter 6, verse 24 avoid the smooth tongue of the tempter, chapter seven, verse 21, avoid the smooth talk of the tempter because he whispers and he entices and Proverbs four gives this an incredible detail. So God gives us this little conversation to show us the way in which the enemy lies to us. Think about this, starting in verse 14. He says, first of all, the enemy promises us and deceives us with his words. I had to offer sacrifices and today I have paid my vows this is unbelievable. The way in which this woman who's a prostitute standing on the corner waiting for a simple man to come by, the way she begins the conversation is, I just came from church. I had to pay my vows and I just came from church. So this is the kind of stuff the enemy does. The the enemy kind of says, hey, this is not that bad. I I know I look uh, kind of mysterious but I just came from church and the enemy starts to plant these little seeds in our mind he gives us these little deceptive words and these promises that this is okay this is not going to be a big deal this may or may not be wrong the enemy deceives but the enemy also flatters verse 15 notice the emphasis here on you so now I have come out to meet you what she's saying is I'm standing here on the corner but I'm only standing here for you I'm only here because because I want you. I came to seek you eagerly and I have found you. That is really significant there. So the enemy is trying to say this is about you. And listen to me. Every bit of sexual temptation is about you. It's your desire to please your own flesh. It's not about anyone else. It's not for the good of anyone else. It's not for the blessing of anyone else. Sexual immorality is about you. And so it is the enemy tries to entice you. He says to you, he says, listen, I've I've come after you. I've got something good for you. But he not only flatters and deceives, he, he entices. Look at verses 16 and following. I've spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. Do you see how the enemy works? So the enemy first came to the eyes and the enemy came to the ears and now what the enemy is doing is painting a picture in their mind. So this, end, this, this this tempter is doing a great job of saying, let me communicate to you in such a way that you will begin to think about what I have for you. Let me paint a picture to you of my bed. Let me paint a picture to you of, of how it smells. Let me paint a picture to you of, of the joy that awaits you there. And so all of a sudden, he's walking the wrong way. He meets someone he shouldn't meet. He hears something he shouldn't hear. He sees something he shouldn't see. He stays a little too long, and now his mind is being filled with these pictures of unimaginable delights and listen to the subtlety of this let us take our fill of love till morning let us delight ourselves with love but let me just be very clear there is nothing about this that is love ladies listen to me if there's any man that is trying to get you to be sexually active and you're not married he does not love you he loves himself he doesn't love you I'm looking at our college students. He doesn't love you. This is not love. Love is always seeking the good of others. Is the tempter seeking the good of others? No. Does the tempter want something good for this person? No, not at all. The tempter is trying to take you down. That is not love. And so it is. She entices, but she also assures. Listen to this. This may be the most important one. The tempter assures, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him, and at full moon, he will come home. Here's the lie here. No one is going to know. No one's going to know. I got the whole thing planned out. He's gone. The bed's prepared. I came just for you, and no one else is going to know it. Let me tell you something. We will learn this more this week later and next week these things will always come to light. They will always manifest themselves. They will be known. One of the things the enemy wants to say to you all the time is that it's safe when you're hiding. It's safe in the dark. It's safe when no one else knows. I assure you, it is not safe. And the enemy is trying to tell you a lie that you're not going to be found out. And then last of all, the enemy persuades. Look at verse 21. With much seductive speech, she persuades him with her smooth talk. She compels him. You know, what's interesting to me is is the words that are used here are the same words in the New Testament referring to the way in which we persuade people to come to Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, I implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So this passion that we use to plead with people, to be saved from, from the wrath of God and to give their life to Jesus is the same voice that the enemy uses to persuade you to walk in immorality. He uses that voice to persuade you to think that nothing's going to happen and there will be no consequences and no one will find out and this is about you and this is about love and it's all a lie. But the tempter is always persuading. But look at what happens as we continue through that passage. It says she persuades promises and flatters and entices and assures. But he doesn't know that he's leading to his, his death. So here's what the tempter does. The tempter always tells you the joys, but he never tells you the sorrows. He gets you with the joys, but he doesn't tell you the pain. But there is a pain. There is a consequence to sexual immorality. And I want you to see that quickly. Not only did I want you to see the presence of danger, but I want you to see the promise of destruction. That's the second point, the promise of destruction. Chapter 5, verses 7 through 14. Chapter 6, 25 through 35, tells us that sin, sexual sin, always has a cost. And the tactics and the lies of the enemy are so subtle and they make us think lightly of sin, and it's not that big of a deal. They won't affect you and they won't affect others, and you can hide it, but I assure you they will cost you. Please hear me. Sexual sin always costs. And does God. Forgive? Absolutely. Is there hope? Yes, we'll end with that. But are there lingering consequences? Absolutely. And it talks about this over and over in this chapter. God does not want to hide from us the consequences of of sexual immorality. First of all, it says there's an emotional cost. Chapter 5, verse 4. Her lips drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Bitter as wormwood. The idea of wormwood there is sorrow and pain and bitterness. Sharp as a two-edged sword mean it always leaves wounds. Listen, sexual immorality always leaves wounds. It, it always leaves sorrow. It always leaves pain. It always leaves brokenness and more bitterness. There's an emotional cost. There is a spiritual cost. Look at chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. Her feet go down to death and her steps follow the path of Sheol. This is one of the ways we know that this is not just practical. There's a metaphor here that the enemy wants to take you to hell. The enemy wants to destroy your life. She does not ponder the path of life. And so what does the tempter do? The tempter leads you out from the path of life, out of the path of peace, out of the path of joy, and out of the path of blessing. And the reality is you cannot be sexually immoral and spiritually intimate at the same time. You cannot walk in intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ and in sexual immorality. Why? Because you are choosing to walk outside of the way of life and the way of wisdom. You will, listen to me, you will find yourself far from God. There is an emotional cost, a spiritual cost. There is a physical cost. Chapter 5, verses 9 through 11, it says this. It says, keep your way far from her lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner and at the end of your life you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. One of the things I've never noticed before about Proverbs until this study is the amount of physical pain literal physical pain and anguish that comes to those who walk outside of the way of wisdom. It says here in Proverbs 6 that you are destroying yourself. You're bringing pain upon yourself. There is a physical pain. There is emotional cost, spiritual cost, physical cost, and there is a relational cost. Chapter 6, 29 through 33. It brings wounds. It brings dishonor. It brings disgrace. It not only affects you, it affects every single one around you. I think one of the greatest lies of the enemy is that your sexual impurity is just about you, but the reality is it will affect everyone around you. It will affect everyone around you. And listen again to chapter 7. I want to read these verses here. Verses 21 through 33. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. 7.21. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter. Listen to this. You know how an ox goes to the slaughter? An ox has no idea that it's going to the slaughter. It's just going. Someone said go and it's going. The picture here Is of someone who does not take sexual sin seriously. Someone who is not aware of the danger. Someone does not know about the nature of temptation. They're like an ox going to the slaughter. They're just being led. Simple. Naive. Listen to what it says. Or as a stag caught fast. Till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare. Listen to this. He does not know that it will cost him his life. He has no idea that he's going to his death. He has no idea the emotional, spiritual, physical, and relational cost. And The reality is you go back to chapter 6 verse 24. You cannot walk in sexual sin without getting burned. And it should terrify you. We're gonna talk about this more next week, but the goal of the enemy is to ruin you and he wants to take you down and he's so good at this and he's so subtle and he's constantly coming after you and there is a part of Proverbs 5 through 7 that is to make you terrified of the tactics of the enemy and his ability to affect you and to hurt you and to give you all kinds of pain through sexual immorality. But I wanna end with one verse. We're almost to one verse, Proverbs five fourteen. I want you to see this, Proverbs 5 14. This is the verse that weighed heavy on me this week. I had never noticed this verse before. Here's what it says Here's a man, a person who has given into the tempter, men or women given into the tempter. At the end of their life, you groan, your flesh and body are consumed. And listen to what they say in 12 and 13 I hated discipline. I despised reproof. I didn't listen to my teachers. I didn't incline my ear. Listen to this verse. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. You know what that means? That means I'm at church among everyone else, and no one knows that I'm at the brink of ruin. I am this close to ruin in the assembled congregation and no one knows. So it makes me think, first of all, this is what the enemy wants to do. The enemy wants you to hide your sexual sin, to be in a place like this, and the person even next to you does not know that you feel like you're on the brink of utter ruin. But I cannot help but to think that there's some of you in this room that feel exactly that way. I am on the brink of uh, of bitter ruin in the assembled congregation. Here I am this morning. I'm at church. I'm among the people of God, but I'm on the brink of utter ruin. The enemy wants you to take that feeling and live with it. He wants to overwhelm you with shame. He wants to condemn you. He wants you to continue to hide, but it doesn't have to be that way. The reality is, is is there is help for you. If you will be humble, if you will acknowledge your sin, if you will acknowledge where you are, if you will acknowledge your desperate need for the grace of God, if you will be honest, if you will be honest with God, if you will be honest with others, if you will stop hiding, if you will stop living in isolation, and if you will have hope, if you will have hope in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus to know that Jesus came to save sinners of which all of us are and all of us have sin. And Jesus came to save sinners. And Jesus says through his death, burial, and resurrection, there is a potential for you to be saved from this sin, to be healed from this sin. There is hope in Jesus Christ. And my biggest struggle in this message this week is how to balance these things to put the weight and seriousness of this text upon you, that you would feel the heaviness of what the enemy is trying to do. And at the same time, feel that there is hope in Christ. And to know that Jesus wants to deliver you, if you will get honest and if you will get real and if you will get help and you will stop hiding, there is hope for you in Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus does. He saves from sin. And he wants to do it this morning. And so we see the temptation and we see the tempter and we should and we should be aware and then here, way up here, we see the hope of the glory of Christ. And we run here to be safe from this. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.